Welcome to Business Unmuted, the business discussion programme for the north of England, which is also available on all good podcast sites. The programme is brought to you in association with Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. If you're in the market for a new used or fleet vehicle, its dealerships are in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Malton or York. Just as businesses start to gain momentum as the economy recovers from COVID, they could be batted back down with the economic consequences of a war in Europe. Northeast icon Greggs is a perfect example of this. In the same week it announces record sales of more than 1.2 billion, it issued a warning that the price of its pastries may increase for a second time in 12 months to combat the rising cost of staff and supplies. It's not just pies, pasties and people. The price of commodities has soared to record levels, those not seen since the credit crunch of 2008, which will soon feed through into further inflation. Now, on the other hand, last week you might recall we had the global economist from HSBC on this programme, and I ended up hosting an event the next day with over a hundred businesses attending and uh, seeing the economist talk. It was a very interesting event. At the beginning, I asked all of the businesses to put their hands up only if this year they would see their profits, their turnover and their employment numbers increase. Very surprisingly, 80% of them said that they would. That's 80% taking a very positive view of the economy. So maybe the lived experience and the experience of people in business, actually working business, is a bit less bleak than the forecasts. Now, speaking with me today is Clara Challoner-Walker, founder of the natural skincare company Cozy Cottage Soap, Rick Smith, managing director of Forbes Burton, the business rescue and insolvency specialists, and Matt Hewison, cybersecurity expert and director at CyberWhite. Hello, and I want to start with you, Clara, if that's all right. Um, we won't ask you to comment on all the gloomy reports yet, but let's first hear about your own journey, because you got into business in a, a, a literally a cottage business tell me yeah. what started the business off and what you make and how you, you how you sell it yeah so um, what started the business off really was a uh, was a time of reflection after recovering from breast cancer um, about five years ago um, I had worked very much in the corporate environment beforehand um, traveling around the world uh, which was all great but not necessarily something you want to keep going after you've had a period of reflection such as I had so mm. I um, I drew really upon my my interests and uh, the the skills that I developed when I was at university when I studied chemistry um, so my interests are very much in uh, you know what are the chemicals that we put on our body doing to us and what are they doing to the environment and that was something that I'd looked at for many many years uh, you know throughout all my all my working time uh, so I started, as you said, in as a cottage industry um, about five years ago in my own house, making a few soaps uh, and, and understanding that industry. Um, it is a rapidly growing industry. The beauty industry does grow rapidly and the natural uh, segment of that industry grows more rapidly uh, still. Um, so in the UK and the US, uh, they're project projecting around 30% growth over the next few years. So it's a, it's a, People it's a are much industry. more discerning, aren't they, with purchases like this? We've got some video of your, your soaps being made and so yes. on that we're, we're looking at during the programme. And uh, tell me about the route to market. Where are you selling this soap? Uh, so we, we essentially have, have three areas. We sell direct to customers through one of our websites. 
Uh, we sell through a second website to independent retailers um, and gift shops uh, and part of the National Trust mm. uh, and North York Moors Centres. Um, and then thirdly, we have a, a retail store in the town of Malton, North Yorkshire, Beautiful. which is also where our workshops are. Uh, where we manufacture everything. It's a great town. We, we all know the uh, food festival uh, at Moulton. So a real northern cottage business prospering and thriving in its, its, its early years. How long has it been going? Uh, about five years now. Right, yes. so about five years. So uh, you, you, you heard my introduction, which had a few gloomy comments as well as some yes. positivity. Where do you fall in the uh, optimism, pessimism uh, view of the world from point of view of business? Yeah, I, I mean, I very much fall in the optimism side, um, but optimism with thoughtfulness. Mm. Um, I think, you know, we need to navigate as business people our way very carefully um, through the current environment. So if I think about the positives, there's positive is that the industry in which I operate is, is growing significantly. A second positive is that um, people are becoming more and more aware of the impact of what they are consuming upon the environment. Um, and another positive is that if I think about out-of-town shopping malls, which require a lot of uh, petrol to get to them, mm. uh, petrol prices going up, likely to go up further, uh, compare that to a town like Malton, uh, mm. where people can shop local and travel using public transport, etc. Uh, I see that that is the sort of place where I would want to be represented in a retail sense. Absolutely. Uh, so those are very positive aspects. And, and just to drill down a little bit, uh, of course, the price of your commodity, it might be not quite as price sensitive as a more bland commodity. I don't know, a tube of toothpaste or something like that. But it, because it's special, it's nice. It's got a, 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 a nice feel to it. Um, but I imagine it will still be affected by the, um, the actual raw materials. So where do, you, where do you see the pressures there? Yeah, so um, that points that you raise. Um, all our raw materials we source from UK-based suppliers. So the materials would be things generally like coconut oil or uh, extra virgin olive oil, uh, you know, fairly natural stuff, but not stuff that grows in Yorkshire. Um, so there are pressures because of the global demand and the global transportation costs uh, on the prices of those commodities. However, the vast majority of our cost base is around the, um, the, the manufacturing. We don't automate heavily. Mm. Uh, you know, a whole, the ethos of our business is about low energy consumption, uh, about providing employment opportunities and about hand making products locally. Yes. Uh, so an enormous proportion of our costs is around the people costs. So as we stand on the threshold of minimum wage increases, uh, we don't pay minimum wage, but we... You know, it's, all, it's all there. The, the differentials are there, aren't they? Yes. Absolutely. National insurance uh, increases, uh, the sorts of inflation pressures that my team will face. You know, these guys have to heat their homes. That will become significantly more uh, expensive. So as a responsible employer, we have to respond to that. So. Uh, that's where the major pressure is. Turning to the other side of the equation, um, our products are not the cheap, pile them high, you know, uh, 50p for a bar of soap type products. They are a conscious choice that a consumer will make. And therefore, you know, to make those conscious choices uh, in the face of all those pressures, our customers also, uh, you know, we will need to find new ways to appeal to them and to convince them 
that these are the right right choices to make to make for the long term. Clara, you set us off on the programme really well. Just hold there. We'll probably come back to you in a few minutes. Uh, Rick, Thanks. now you run an insolvency and rescue business. Yeah. Um, now we're listening to Clara there. With the guy from HSBC last week was saying, with COVID uh, coming to an end, households have a lot of savings, and there are some things that are discretionary spend things that they just don't want to be stopped from doing anymore. I was out shopping in the city of York on Saturday last week. It was humming. People mm. were deciding to go out and spend. People are buying their summer holidays. Maybe the kind of soap, nice gift soaps, will be tempting because people haven't been able to buy them in shops. So what is your view? You've heard all the negatives from both Clara and me. Is this going to bite on the economy to tip us into recession? I, I unfortunately think it will, but I do respect um, a, a business owner of that ilk that is looking at their business in the way in which she is doing, which is great because I think it's important that we do that um, because you know we have to trade ourselves out of this, which is what Boris set us off to do mm. from the start, and and it's important that we we try and do that and and we support small businesses. You said earlier on when your entrance your intro report that um, you know uh, there's a lot of positivity still. Um, in in uh, in small business, and it's important that we, we you know we, we maintain that because um, you know that will help people overcome all these issues they're now going to encounter. Prime example about staff, you know their costs are going to go up, their heating is going to go up. Um, so how do you factor that into your business? How do you look after those people that are looking after you? Um, so yeah, it's um, but unfortunately I think due to what's been going on. And, and where we are now with Ukraine and so forth, I think inevitably we're going to, we're going to um, be quite hit quite hard. I think the thing is predicting trends, isn't it? Mm. Uh, it's, it's only very recently that on these programmes we've been talking about uh, vacancies at record levels. They still are. The difficulty in recruiting skilled staff, it's still there. Mm. And mm. the temptation to pay what would have been considered perhaps over the odds to get them, the, the, the sort of competitive nature of the employer having to compete with yes. the staff. Yeah. I today, I won't name the person, but I talked to a business that turned over a lot of money to the chief executive. He said to me, he believes there'll be a recession. And he said to me, he's being very conscious now about staff and potentially even uh, freezing posts. Right. Not right. necessarily wages. No. Now, yeah. is that something with foresight? Something that maybe you would expect businesses who are wanting to ride it out to do? Yes, I think we've, we've, you know, it's it's been, it's been a crazy period as we all know, and I, I think you know for our input to to businesses that come for help with us is to look at what's happened in the past, where they presently are, and where they're going in the future, and it's that future view that is where the problem now lies because, um, you know, we we've um, we've got uncertain times coming, and it's just how. And that's, that's a good thing, they're going to happen. We can't control the Ukraine, the Russian situation, that's, that's a given. Um, whereas from a small business perspective, what we can do is look at how it's going to impact us now moving forward and trying to put into those measures now as to, you know, as to how to deal with those plenty of time. So you've got the time in which to <coughs> excuse me, put those measures into place, to adjust your business accordingly, to cater for that type of... Um, but it is a... It's still a crystal ball type approach, but it's it's a good time to do it now. Um, you know, most businesses who have done their business plan, it's from just, they do it sort of annually, um, and built in within that is to then look at um, you know the, the the future of the business and where is where where does the business owner want it to go. 
but then try and widen that scope into think well you know what is going to affect us and if if those things are then try and build in some contingency elements within your business to be able to cater for those things that are going to happen i mean prior to the covid situation our general rule with businesses that we go and assist is that we that the first goal is to try and bank um you know three months of trade within their business and uh, you know when that COVID thing hit, a lot of people were coming back to us, and so it's the best bit of information they've ever had, yeah. because it enabled them then to give them the time to think, step back, instead of um, going down a, a cash flow mm. situation where it's pressure. They're 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 you know they're running around trying to address this situation. If you give yourself time, you'll make the better decisions, and therefore you'll get a better end result. A defensive wall of cash is is, is a very big thing to have. <clears throat> Of course, quite a lot of businesses don't just have a defensive wall of cash, but they have a mountain of cash. And yet business investment in this country is pretty low mm -hmm. compared mm -hmm. to our competitor mm -hmm. countries. Mm -hmm. And we've got a, a big incentive, the super deduction on investment, but it doesn't seem to have necessarily stimulated mass investment. Um, yep. Is is the right time perhaps to pause investment, see how the the economy shakes out or to press ahead? It's confidence, isn't it? You know, from these investors, it's risk, uh, and and it's all about um, uh, that element of risk. So confident in the market they're investing in that it's going to give them a return over said period. Um, you know, I would like to see. We need it as an economy. We need to have that investment churning. We need that money in the system to be able to get allow small businesses to invest, to develop, to grow. Um, but as you've actually said, you know, we've seen that that's not been the case, and the banks, due to sort of you know, through that COVID period, opening their vaults to the, the BBL bounce back loan type scenario, you know, they've, they've never really got back yet to what mm. they should, where they should be. Um, yes, there's the bounce back or restart or whatever the government called it, but that yet again is very high on, mm. on rates. And um, so, yeah. I, the, other, the other major loan is the Sybils loan, which were the, the larger businesses took. Mm. And if they took mm. them, they can't actually pay dividends to shareholders until they're That's repaid. There is a cliff edge where <coughs> they have to be repaid. Um, yet there are quite a few businesses that haven't quite geared up enough that they could repay them. Do you think that in order to stop business failures in the future, the government may need to extend the payment terms of Sybil's loans. Yeah, I think the bounce back loan, the Sybil's loan, I mean, they should be really, you know, the, the name of them is wrong. It should be keep afloat loans because that's mm. really what happened at the time when we all mm. hit this, this situation. And, and, and therefore, then it, sh it should have been viewed in that light. Unfortunately, it hasn't. And, and you know, the back to, the, you know, raising capital again, you know, there's an area, where, you know, for example, let's take a restaurant. They want to get back going again. There's not the footfall in the shopping areas that they'd like, but they want to restart their business. But they've got to get wet stock and dry stock, which costs money to do mm -hmm. so. The banks aren't willing to um, you know, uh, loan monies. There's no other sort of investment they're getting. So therefore, how do they restart themselves? And this is where I think the government can, can look to ease that pressure. Um, to enable them to get, you know, to restart these these small businesses that have, that have struggled over this period. Clara, you gave a really positive view about your own business. Listening to what Rick said there, is there anything you'd like the government to do specifically that would help you as you fire up your business again in this post-COVID time? Yeah, I think um, I think uh, Rick raised some good points about the um, the relief on capital investment. So we have. Uh, invested in some uh, some items of bits and bobs 
Um, but we have always thought about what value are they going to bring us in mm. the long term. So I said before that part of our um, significant part of our cost base is our staff. And therefore, if we can try and keep our staff costs at the same level by helping our people to uh, work more efficiently by better layouts uh, and better um, methods of working, uh, that's where our capital investment at the moment is going uh, to try and enable us to do that without undermining our principle of handmade. Uh, one place where I think in the, in the med short to medium term, the government could help more um, is in the area of you know the national insurance type payments, the uh, maternity type payments. I mean, we have the statutory a, obligation payments that yeah. particularly small employers have. Absolutely, I mean that weighs very heavy on us because we have a predominantly female workforce, mm. uh, and so uh, sickness payments uh, for COVID have weighed very heav heavily on us. Uh, I know we could do some claiming and stuff but the impact of all of that needing mm. to get people into backfill stuff costs more help around mm. being able to pay our people a fair wage and meet our statutory obligations around staff would be a great place for the government to focus well clara rick thank you very much yeah. i'm going to now change subjects and talk to about two things that have come out as a result of the ukraine war uh, and I want to talk first uh, to Matt Hewson from CyberWhite Security, specialist in uh, cyber attacks and so on. Uh, Matt, firstly, thank you very much for joining us. I had a, uh, an email from the police, from the Regional Cyber Protect and Prepare Office uh, in the police in our area, which was warning businesses about the, uh, the things that they need to do as a result of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, because there was a, a heightened risk um, what what would you see the risks as being? What kind of activity should businesses be prepared to uh, head off? Yes, it's a, it's a good question. And um, firstly, I'm, I'm really pleased to see um, that you're having that type of uh, communication, Graham. Um, it's really encouraging. Um, so when we talk about cyber, when we talk about risks, and, uh, and obviously as you've just um, articulated, there is a, a surge in activity at the moment and we are seeing um, quite a, an increase in nation state cyber activity. Um, but I think it's probably important to, to maybe just understand that this isn't new. Um, so this is something that happens on a day-to-day -day basis in my world. Um, so we talk to our clients and organisations about risk regularly. Um, we help them try and secure and influence positively their, their security posture. Um, but there are many organizations on a national level um, that will work very closely with core um, organizations that are linked to the Home Office and NCSC. So we've got obviously a number of uh, big companies that are linked to the critical um, national infrastructure. Um, and big players in, in, in the finance field. So they're, they're constantly um, in contact with NCSC and, and people such like, and they're helping them to defend themselves proactively. So, so to see um, this activity at, at the local level is, is really, really, um, really encouraging and good to see. Perversely, the, the media reported that it was Russia that was subject to cyber attacks by Anonymous, the sort of group that, that uh, wanted to make some political points. Uh, EV charging points in Russia had been targeted with messages like Putin's a murderer. Um, but th that, that 
that, that was a surprise. Is it likely to cause uh, Russian-based counter-attacks? Yeah, I think, I think we're seeing them now, um, I'll be honest. Um, and I, I don't mean to alarm people, because this is obviously quite a, a sensitive subject. And, and you know, just going back to what I said at the beginning about this, this, this isn't unusual. That should hopefully calm people um, and give them some context around what we're what, what we're discussing. Um, but I, I mean, just recently this week um, and, and the week before, I've been working quite closely with two of our big clients. Um, one of them is a, a financial organisation, um, and they've seen a, a, a large increase in um, denial, attempted denial of service attacks um, and when I say um, large increase I'm not talking 5, 10, 15 percent I'm talking up to 700 percent mm-hmm. increase in that mm-hmm. type of activity um, in the past month. Unsuccessful so, I hope. <laughs> so unsuccessful absolutely. Yeah. Well let, um, let's be positive and talk about the the preventative measures um, I know I know you've I've, I've engaged you for this with my own business that there are some resilience checks that business can take what kind of thing do you advise, let's talk about small businesses really, because the larger, bigger organizations have got their own in-house people. Uh, it's the kind of thing that a smaller business can lose sleep over though. Yeah, of, of course. Um, so I, I think nothing's changed really in the sense of, um, certainly our approach, so um, everything should be based around risk. What's the biggest risk to the business from a, from a, a cybersecurity perspective? Um, how do you mitigate against those risks and how do you continue to do business as a result of doing that? And the one area that I'm seeing um, significant, um, uh, sorry, an increased significance of activity in is um, bad actors looking at trying to exploit the third third party supply chains. Yes. So um, if we think about all those people that we do business with, um, we should consider um, several things. So how do they la- align themselves to your um, moral and, uh, and ethical standards? So if they're similar to you, they're probably um, a good person to do, to do business with. Um, but we can also take that further and look at you know, what access do we give them to our network, even if it is a small business? Um, do, do, do they have um, access to our data? How are they managing that data? Um, and, and then what do they do with it once um, they've got it? So how do they how do they secure it, and, and, and how long do they secure it for, etc. Um, so I, I, I would certainly suggest looking at that element. There will be lots of organisations that are already doing this. So um, a simple and, and, and something that you probably do yourself, Graham, from a business perspective, is when we look to when certainly when from a cyber perspective, when we look to take on. Um, a new supplier, we'll send them um, a supplier questionnaire and we'll ask them to give us various details. Some of those details are transactional bits and pieces around bank details and what have you, but we'll also dig further into um, their, their their approach around cyber and again, data and compliance and things such like. So once you've got that information, you can then pull that back, review it um, and make a decision on whether or not you think that they're suitable to to, to, to be a, to be a supplier to you. That's quite a simple exercise, but something that's really really effective. Okay, and well, Matt, we're, we're running out of time, so I'm going to give you one quick chance to plug your friendly hack service. I know it's not something you do all the time, but it can be quite comforting if people uh, have seen where the vulnerabilities are. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the um, 
biggest issues you, we have in terms of um, cyber attacks is being able to identify them. So the thing that keeps people up at night is not being able to see what's going on in the network and within the business from a technical perspective. So we do we do offer services where we can help you look at um, the, and inspect traffic on your network. We can um, ethically hack your systems and um, give you advice around where you're weak and how to remediate against those to strengthen your security posture. Matt, thank you for joining us. We're going to move on because we've got one more thing to fit in before the end of our programme today. If you need to contact Matt, it's Cyberwhite is the name of the firm. Now, the other Ukraine issue that's come about in the media this week, which affects business, is visas. A lot of businesses uh, want to offer help, particularly if they have staff who have relatives in Ukraine. And there's been a lot of a logjam when it comes to granting visas. It's been debated in the media and in Parliament. Well, one business that's trying to do something to help is Square One Law that has a team of expert immigration officers. One of its uh, partners came into the studio yesterday to talk to me about it, uh, JP Fansil. This is a short extract of what he had to say. We want to help these people who find themselves in a desperate situation. Um, many of whom have family in the UK. There's a route um, that we can use to get them here. Um, the businesses in the Northeast want to help and we want to put them in a position to do that. Our clients have been inundated by queries. Um, we'd like to assist them to address those queries and to help their staff and help their own family members. Um, and so we're going to host a couple of sessions uh, on the 22nd and the 23rd of March um, where we can talk folks through those schemes and the various options that are available to them. That's JP Fansil from Square One Law. Well, that's about it from the end of uh, Business Unmuted today. We're going to have one week off next week because the week after is our next live edition of Business Unmuted. It's the day that Rishi Sunak delivers his um, spring statement or mini budget, you might say. And we're going to do it live from Virtue Motors dealership in Durham, the BMW dealership there. Uh, Robert Forrester, the Virtue Motors CEO, will be on the panel. Bill Scott, the manufacturer from the River will be on the panel, small business advisor Pamela Petty and Joy Allen, the Durham Police and Crime Commissioner. So do join us live uh, in two weeks time, the 23rd of March. And if you'd like to come along, check out our various LinkedIn feeds and you can apply and come along and, and join us live. Thank you very much for joining us today.